Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Swinging from the Hips with our special guest tonight, former chairman of the Eden Roskill Cricket Club and current chairman of Cumu Cricket Club, Aaron Ranchot and Stephen Noblo, respectively. But before we get into that, uh, our guests, welcome to Rohit and Taryn, and how are you guys doing this evening? G'day, g'day. Good to be here. How's it going? It's been a full-on week. <laughs> Full on week, and we're ready to talk a bit of cricket then. So what yeah. we'll do, we'll get into to this week in history with Rohit. So where you go, mate? Yes. So look, there's quite a bit to pick from this week in the week in history. So I've picked out a few that I could that I thought were quite good. Uh, back in uh, June 25th, 1983, was a memorable day for the Indians, and not so memorable, unfortunately, there for the West Indies. Um, you know, West Indies thought that all they had to do was turn up to the World Cup final and pick up the trophy. But it was a shock because they were upset by the Indians in a, a low-scoring one-day game, of and they scored 183 all out and uh, beaten the West Indies there. And 51 years earlier then, uh, though, in 1932, India were, uh, is where they started their inaugural test played their first test match against the English, and they lost that match by uh, 158 runs. Now, speaking of starting of uh, test nations playing, West Indies also began their test status back in 1928, four years earlier than the Indians, and they were beaten by the English again. And West Indies were quick learners, however, and they recorded their first test win in their sixth test match. Now, moving along, 2014, um, who says test cricket's boring, eh? So the Sri Lankans winning the test with one ball to spare and the series, and this was against the English, and um, winning on that last day with one ball to spare. That would have been an exciting test match to, to watch there over the five days. And moving to 1979, June 23rd, Big Bird, Joel Garner. He was crushing batsman's toes in the World Cup final there with a blistering spell of four wickets for five runs and the West Indies taking the win and retaining the World Cup 
which had only uh, previously won back in 1975, been the first World Cup of one-day cricket. And then um, 2013 was the last edition of the old Champions Trophy, which has uh, got New Zealand's name on it too, yeah, luckily. Uh, however, India won that last Champions Trophy in a rain-reduced match of a 20-over affair against the English. And that game was um, led, uh, the Indians were led by MS Dhoni, and he was the first captain and probably going to be the only captain to have won all three international ICC trophies How, because I don't think they play that champion's trophy anymore. Now, just a few birthdays, uh, a couple of birthdays, should I say. Kenya's best batsman, Steve Tickelo, born in 71, June 25th. He uh, led the Kenyans to a sensational win against the West Indies in the 1996 World Cup. And he also led them to the semi-final in the 2003 World Cup before he retired in 2011. Also, we saw June 24, 1986, Stuart Broad, the English bowler, became the fifth, uh, the fifth English bowler to take 300 test wickets. And also, um, a freak start to his test career, I have to say, was Vernon Philander, 24th of June, 1985, had a birthday. He became the second fastest to take 50 test wickets. So there we have it. Week in history and a few birthdays. Thanks for that, Rohit. This is a really interesting couple of uh, events over the history there, particularly that, uh, as you say, that last ball, run, run type um, win there so many years ago. It's like, as I said, who said that test cricket is boring? Exactly. Exactly. Right, well, moving right along, yeah, Taryn, you're... Five well, days down to the last ball. Nah, you're after five days down to the last ball, exactly. <laughs> so now moving to the present, and we will say hi to Taryn. And Taryn, take us through what happened this week in cricket. Uh, we'll go, we'll start with the um, little bit of cricket that was played. You know, we're all, we've all talked about the West Indies tour. They've arrived in England, they're preparing, and they're obviously got through the isolation period and now going through the process of an internal warm-up game. Um, Craig Braithwaite and Shay Hope got 80s in their warm-up fixture, internal warm-up game with Alzari Joseph picking up a four and Raymond Reefer getting a fiver in their warm-up as Reefer starts becoming a outside bet, um, pushing for a test selection. Um, obviously, that's due to COVID and the COVID is also playing a bit of an impact in the next tour to England, which is the Pakistani team. Shadab Khan, Harris Ralph and Haider Ali were the first three who tested positive earlier in the week. And this was followed by another seven names, Kashif Bhatti, uh, Mohammed Hasnain, uh, Fakhar Zaman, Mohammed Rizwan, Mohammed Hafiz, Wahab Riyas and Imran Khan also testing positive. This makes a third of the 29-man squad due to travel in under two weeks for um, testing positive for COVID. However, a day after Muhammad Hafiz tested positive, he tested negative in a private test that he got um, conducted for himself and his family. So let's see what happens on that front. Um, obviously, that's... Um, throws a bit of spanner in the works for ECB, but ECB remain confident that the tour will still go ahead. 
Now, Cricket South Africa is considering the legal action after a fraudulent document claiming that Mark Boucher had a stake in the 3TC comp there, and 3TC is the three-way T10 or T20 competition or that was mooted not so long ago. It didn't get off the ground because of the game was due to be played at Centurion, which is a bit of a hot spot at the moment in South Africa. However, they are looking at legal action trying to safeguard Mark Boucher's interest, which is not surprising because it is a brainchild of Paul Harris, who happens to be a very close pal of Mark Boucher, the national head coach. Now, the Black Caps schedule has been released and four opponents, West Indies, Pakistan, Bangladesh and Australia are penciled into tour New Zealand and New Zealand cricket is very upbeat and confident that this will go ahead. The big story, however, to me, is a big moment in women's cricket. Cricket's most famous club, Marylebone Cricket Club, as we know, um, as MCC has announced its first woman president um, 233 years after it first came into existence. 43-year-old Claire Connor, the former England women's captain, was confirmed at the annual meeting, and she will now be succeeding Kumar Sangakkara. In her role this is the first time so quite a big moment for women's cricket that's current news <laughs> that's the news of today thank you for that Taryn. and yeah absolutely a, a big yeah. move for the mcc isn't it to um to to to, to obviously put a chairman uh, sorry uh, a female in that top role at the at the club and it's a great move i think um progressive move you might say absolutely absolutely i think it's a Good way for you to lead into our guests and talk about a bit of administration. <laughs> no, let's, let's segue nicely. And as, as Terence says, our guests for tonight are Aaron Ranchod from the Eden Roskill Cricket Club and Stephen Nobolo from the CUMU, the chairman at the CUMU Cricket Club. <laughs> and I'm just starting to read a message that I'm getting from Stephen. We're, we're not sure whether we're having a few technical difficulties with Stephen. Hopefully they've been sorted, but um, let's bring him into the show and uh, see how it goes. Welcome to Aaron. Welcome, Steve. Let's see if we can hear you. Evening, everybody. Yep. Stephen, how are you doing? Nope. Looks like, unfortunately, we still can't hear Stephen there. So we're having some technical difficulties there. But as I said, tonight's show, we're talking about club cricket and basically the ins and outs of club cricket. So we're going to dive into what it takes to run a club or what's involved in running a club. Before we get that, we're going to set the scene a bit. So we're going to get Taryn to just basically give us a rundown of what the structure of cricket in Auckland looks like with the likes of Auckland right down through to sort of how the club and how it all knits together. So, Taryn, can you give us an understanding of how that works? Uh, okay, so obviously Auckland Cricket, is, uh, Auckland Cricket Association, should I say, is run by a board of directors, uh, which is then administered by the CEO, Ian Laxon. So they have their own team. They've got a community element and they've got a community arm, which oversees the participation front. And then they've got a high performance league, which is overseen by Chris Mundell and the high performance uh, coaching staff. Within the participation or within the amateur community game, you've got 16 cricket clubs. Now, 16 cricket clubs, within the 16 cricket clubs, there's different tiers. There's two. And I'm sure I'm happy to be corrected here by the guys that know a bit more um there's your principal club status 
uh, well, principal clubs and community clubs. There's some technical differences there, but the big um, driver is you must be a principal club to be playing Premier Cricket. So clubs have to try and push to achieve that status. And so that is the big thing. So if you look at a um, after 16, I believe 14 of them are principal clubs. Clubs like Cornwalls, Parnell, Howitz, etc. They are principal clubs and therefore I have had that status. They've, there have been historically a couple of uh, clubs that have dabbled with losing that status when they don't keep up with their service level agreements. And then you've got community clubs that are aspirational clubs that want to grow with the growth of Auckland. They're starting to hit a lot of numbers, ticking quite a few boxes in terms of service level agreements and starting to gain principal status. One such club is Kumu Cricket Club. They went from a community club a few years ago to achieving principal club status uh, in 2019. Aaron, sorry. Yeah, that, sorry. As I said, um, just in the chat room, this was my first go at uh, running the show all by myself. So uh, apologies for the slight glitches that we get along the way. No, so we'll give you a brief rundown of how the uh, structure of cricket in uh, Auckland is set up. Um, as this is basically, we've got our chairmans from Auckland set up. So that's uh, obviously how it works in Auckland. It'll be very similar as we work through the country uh, and how that goes as well. So moving into the club structures, well, welcome, as I said, Aaron. We're having a few technical difficulties with Stephen, so hopefully we can sort those out and bring him in to the show as well at some stage. But what we'll first start off is now that we've got an overall understanding of how Auckland cricket and then the clubs filter in, work into that system we're just going to ask the real basic question here of what is the objective of a cricket club underneath Auckland cricket so Aaron would you like to sort of give us a bit of information your view of what a cricket club's objectives are uh yeah uh, good evening to everyone basically um the objective is to promote cricket within your local community to get as many you know uh, participants um playing the game of cricket and being involved in the game of cricket. So that's, you know, that, that's the basis of it all. And that's what each club um, in each area around Auckland should be doing and looking at is growing your numbers through getting as many children, adults, you know, through um, just coming along and playing the game of cricket at whatever level they are suited for. And where are you looking? I mean, like, uh, are you looking at that sort of real beginner level, that um, sort of the nursery to bring them in to get them through, or are you actually looking at even adults as well and where you can pull adults in as well? No, as, as I said, you know, um, as a club, you're looking to pull in whoever, you know. It doesn't matter their school level, what age they are, uh, what, what sex they are. It's, you know, it's just about coming along, participating and enjoying the, the game of cricket, you know, um, learning about it and sharing your experiences and so forth with a group of people and as many people as, you know, that, that are at the club. Obviously, within that group, there are certain, you know, levels, um, people that aspire to want to go further in that. And that part of that, the, the club 
um, seen is to provide a setup where those people that want to aspire to play at the top level can, you know, work their way through and be seen um, by, obviously, firstly, Auckland cricket, um, and then go to higher honours from there, you know, maybe luckily enough, New Zealand cricket. And so how are you trying to structure a club? Obviously, as you said, you've got your you've got your little nursery type thing, you've got your junior cricket, and even within junior, you've got two levels. Then you've got your guys that just want to come along and roll their arm over, and then you've got that um, the players that are trying to stretch themselves to go that step further, to be to play in the Prems or to play in that top team of the club. So how are you structuring a club and, and who's running what to, to achieve those objectives? Sure. So, like, basically, with a club, what you you know you've got is you you you've got a constitution which basically ties you back to Auckland cricket, um, and Auckland cricket sort of you sit down with them and you work out at what as Karen mentioned the service level agreement. So, in the service level agreement, there's certain things that a club have to have to graduate from being a community club to a principal club now basically that you know you one of the basic things of a cricket club is you're going to have to have a club manager who is basically your ceo we do have a club committee which is basically made up of well volunteers apart from your club manager um the, the, the club uh committee sets down various objectives etc that they want to try to achieve as a club and that and obviously part of that is you're fulfilling the commitments to Auckland cricket that provide which can um, they provide you with some funding um, which is another sort of story and image uh, the way that's structured put a number put a dollar sign next to it how, how does funding work how does funding work? Oh, yeah, well, funding works, yeah, basically, your, it, it, that comes down to your numbers. Your right? numbers. It comes down to your playing numbers. numbers. Is it senior so numbers or junior numbers? It's broken down to different components from, from your junior um, numbers through to your senior numbers through to your social or, you know, social team numbers and that. Obviously, the more juniors you have, the, that's got a higher rating than senior members. Um, do so. Yeah, what about girls? How where do they fit in? Sorry, what, what was that, Karen? Where, where do the girls fit in? Do they have a quite a bit of waiting on their kind of girl? You know, if you have a lot of girls teams, do you get more money or? No. Well, put it this way: when I was there, um, there wasn't um any extra waiting to having any um girls participating or that. It was that sort of thing was being discussed. Probably, um, how do I put this? Sort of in the time frame that um, I was sort of deciding to, um, I was decided to move on, um, as the terminology goes. Um, but yeah, look, various clubs had, um, you know, there was with girls cricket. It's quite different because it's you know you basically you're starting from scratch and trying to get as many girls involved trying to get them into the sport and that and you just it's a matter of going out to schools or whatever and trying to recruit them you know if you've got parents coming along with their sons and that to enroll them and yeah. you know, they usually come as a family so they've come I've with heard, girls Aaron, 
I've I've heard a lot of clubs, not just um, Eden Roscoe or anyone else. I've heard a variety of clubs say in meetings. This is I'm talking about recent stuff. Said, yeah. oh look, we don't actually get a lot of lot out of going into schools. It's just a waste of money. We never really draw anyone back to the club. It doesn't. It's not really worth our while. Yeah, oh, look, um, Tara, it's, as I say, I'm, my involvement, you know, I mean, I started, um, oh, with the, say, particularly in Roscoe Club way, way back when my son first started playing. So I think that was from the age of six, and I just came in as a as a parent at that time. Um, and, you know, I don't know who, someone sort of saw some skill in me or whatever, and that and got me... And, um, more involved in the in the um, club running on committees and things like that, and it's sort of you know I just sort of graduated and moved further up the the rankings, I guess as a no way to put it on this. But um, yeah, as I say, funding is a a very um, interesting issue, especially like when it comes through Auckland cricket and that, and say you. You, you have a participation uh, or a service level agreement that you have with them, and what depending on your numbers, etc., they will give you a certain amount of money, but they won't sort of they'll imply where the money is to be used without directly saying you've got to do this and this. Um, when you come to the end of your review, that you sort of um, they'll look at where you've spent money in that. So one of the main things, like being a principal club, is that you've got to have a club manager, right? And so all principal clubs, in effect, should have a paid full-time club manager running this the show. Is like, as I say, put it back into a normal business of CEO. And then your committee, board members, is your, um, like, is your, well, your board, right? Yeah. Um, Does it pay well? Does a club manager's role like if somebody's listening out there, what kind of what kind of range does it does a club manager's job sit in? Like you don't have to say a figure, but in your experience, I mean, I'm sure you've heard different clubs talk. Um, what ballpark figure? What range does it fall under? Look, um, the different clubs have different, job. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's the the, the, the um, different clubs have different ways they do it. You know, some clubs are lucky enough where they've got guys maybe who are um, retired or, you know, don't need huge amounts of money are able, and just for the love and the passion of the game or, um, will go, you know, and sort of apply for that job. So you've got some clubs that may be paying 30000 whereas you've got 85. other clubs. Yeah, yeah, as I say. <laughs> um, whereas you've got 85. other clubs paying you know up to 70 i think i've heard seventy thousand or eighty thousand. Oh. i'm like aaron you may have heard those sorts oh, of things leg, leg here. oh here he is ah <laughs> welcome Stephen. i'll just take this opportunity here of uh of of our club managers to bring in Stephen. hopefully yes. can we hear you now yes. Stephen? 
That's it. So we can we can make out, Stephen. Stephen, we've just sort of been going through um, the objectives of a club, and then oh, I can hear you. I don't know if you can hear me. We can we can hear you, Stephen. We can hear you. Um, so we're basically just uh, talking about the objectives of a club. Okay. Well, that's so, good. So, in terms of uh, for Cumu, what what sort of uh, objectives have you got for your Cumu Cricket Club? Uh, in terms of just providing cricket to the. Uh, wider community, which obviously is the core, the core role of a cricket club, um, continuing to grow, I suppose, a, a bit of a journey over the last uh, half dozen seasons where we've gone from being a, a community club to uh, now a principal club, which is the uh, the sort of the, the, the top, um, currently 15 clubs in Auckland are uh, have what they call principal club status, where you've got so many senior teams, so many members, uh, uh, functioning committee uh, and um, infrastructure like changing rooms, club rooms, etc. So, yep. Okay. Uh, I, I suppose, and just um, sort of getting that sort of uh, – in terms of your structure within your club, you've got your you've got your sort of nursery type environment, going through to your juniors, your your community, and then your um, uh, your your prem players for that. Okay, how are you structuring that at QMU? How are we structuring it? So you have you have your introductory or your junior part of cricket which we like quite a few clubs in Auckland uh, move to Friday nights because it works for mum and dad and, and and the kids as well and that's basically uh, anywhere from zero at school right up to um, now we're dealing in ages as opposed to school years in cricket uh, up to um, uh, under nine basically um, and they play um, a whole lot of sort of fun activities, skill-based games, eventually graduating to playing a, a in-house six-a-side softball game. Um, and from there, um, you have Saturday morning cricket, which is um, – or Saturday afternoon, which is junior cricket. And that uh, clubs is run uh, – now, you're going to have to interrupt me if uh, – uh, Aaron's already uh, explained this, and I'm just sort of repeating what he said. So I think I've missed about 20 minutes of the uh, show so far right. through to technical difficulties. That's yeah. right. Um, You're doing good so far. So, uh, oh, cheers. <laughs> so um, you have the junior part of the club, which the idea of that is to make cricket enjoyable for uh, for young people and. Um, introduce them to the nuances of the game and uh, hopefully set them on a pathway where they uh, end up uh, dovetailing into the senior part of the club where, depending on what they want to do with their cricket, they can either um, go to play more serious cricket, the premier grade stuff, the two-day cricket, or they can m play with their friends in a more of a social environment uh, uh, in um, T20 or one-day cricket, depending on what grade they want to play in. What what do clubs generally so, have in terms of that player that wants to push? Too much detail, the sort of the structure. Yep. Oh, just so for, for a player that Locking. sort of sees that, that yeah. hey, look, I want to be a black yep. cap one day. What do clubs provide in terms of trying to help them get to that 
their goal and ambition. Oop, you there? Um, Stephen there. Or you... Oh, yeah, jump in, jump in. Oh, jump in. Look, yeah, what we've got, the clubs have um, basically do is um, we have uh, different level coaches that the clubs hire. That's part of their um, sort of objectives and that. So you basically, if you've got junior kids, you know, coming in, you, like Stephen said before, you're teaching them the basics. Once they move on, the, as they get older, you start, they we started getting separated out from the, the kids that are quite good to, you know, your average and et cetera, et cetera. But you've got, very, um, you've got a, as I said, professional coaches who are at the club. They'll help you identify some of these guys and that. And you run various development um, squads and things like that to help improve the kids' um, skill level as they, you know, you know, identify them as, you know, there's, children that want to be fast bowlers there may be children who want to be spin bowlers so they get those various um clinics you've got your you know and then obviously your batting um and then during school holidays and that these coaches are running these clinics etc um which uh basically that you know if obviously during the summer they're playing games and that but these clinics are run right through winter and everything so is that the clubs or is that a rep type level um, the clubs can do it, and, you know, um, the other thing that I guess we've missed out there is within the, the different areas of Auckland, so Auckland's split up into sort of um, it's four regions in it, Taryn, sorry, memory's fading a bit as I get older, but you've got sort of like Western, Eastern, Southern, North Shore, and Central, so they, what you call, they um, graduate from into, sorry, here, <laughs> into district <laughs> And you've got uh, <coughs> the clubs are split into various districts. So, for example, out west, you know, you've got Waitak, um, suburbs, Cumu, and I think um, even Roskill's put into that group. And what you'll do is from the clubs, you'll have children nominated to go to, into that sort of district that have seen eligible and or skilled enough to play districts cricket. So they'll go into that, uh, that there where the old uh, Western Districts have a <coughs> program set up and they'll have various age group teams that will come from all these kids and they'll go play Eastern District. You'll have uh, Christmas tournaments and things like that. There's there's a lot of, well, put it this way, you, the clubs put a lot of commitment and time into training and upskilling these children and that there's a lot of <coughs> money involved in it you know for the clubs um and as i say it when you're talking about where this funding comes from a very minute amount of money actually comes from new zealand cricket and Auckland cricket to the clubs to do this the clubs basically have to go out and find their own funding to run these sorts of programs from and, so um, basically so if we just go if we just go back to so you did yeah. mention before if we go take it back to when we had Auckland cricket and we talk about some of the objectives and becoming a community club principal club and there is funding that comes from Auckland cricket if you meet certain KPIs for want of a term obviously yeah. that doesn't meet that gap where are we going for where are the clubs going for that funding how are they achieving the funding 
what, yep, what so I was just yeah. about to go just about to go there luckily we've got um i guess in Auckland and in New Zealand establishments called pubs and within these pubs you've got in a certain corner of the pub things called gaming machines and um you know certain parts of the um, population and community like to play on these machines and part of the um i guess the things that the pub owners or the step drinking establishment owners have to do is the money that comes from these gaming machines has to be given away to various organized charities and organizations and this is where you know sports clubs buy for a, this um this money from these um various trusts they've called you know that that the um these pubs contribute to um so you got to go within your local area drinking establishment areas um to and apply to the trust within those areas hopefully to get money and look some clubs have some really exceptionally skilled club managers or people on the on the um in the committees that are really good at knowing how to fill out the forms and extract money to to be able to you know fund the clubs yeah. um basically the other only other way you, you know the other form of main funding is subscriptions to your um people that come along and and that. how much how much often effort or how or let's say 100 you know let's go in, out of 100 what percentage of funds do clubs actively go out and try and get some self through self-sufficiency or try and actually generate funds and not just be reliant on a handout or sponsorship? Are they are there things that they do to be self-sufficient? Like like um, the club you were involved with, it's called Indonet. I've it must generate a whole lot of income, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, on net, and there's a massive shortage for net. <laughs> central auckland yeah look i mean you know the club i was at was um quite lucky in that i think we were uh, maybe this only the second club in auckland or the third club in auckland to have an indoor net center and obviously since that time other clubs have um got these indoor net centers now so there's a bit more competition involved in it um than that but if a club is run correctly and the objectives are set out properly the these nets should be making you money um you know to a certain level obviously there's different ways if these nets are hired out you know if you're a club member then obviously you get a slightly cheaper rate than non-club members or you know you've got other clubs that don't have them they want to hire it hire the nets and that so you know you can you carry out a slightly higher so would you say right. would you say that club like clubs with um indoor nets are well should or would have very strong finances because they should technically be turning over quite a bit i would say technically yeah, they should be um obviously once the debt is paid off to to build the facilities and that and those these facilities don't come cheap um you, yeah, the club should be starting to make money out of it and then building reserves from there. 
but unfortunately, look, um, as I say, it comes down to what, how our clubs run. Um, some clubs, the objectives of each club is quite different, and they're run by some individuals who have, shall we say, a bit more interest in personal gain than you know wider um, club gain or community gain. Um, so money can be squandered and even lost if these facilities aren't run correctly. Um, so, just so, so just uh, ask Stephen, you? sorry, to, to, now yeah, we've got Stephen back in there. What, what are your current, find, how are you finding funding? What are you, is Cumu using to get that the, the dollars in to help run the club? I mean, obviously you do get some amount from Auckland Cricket. What other avenues yep. are you using to try and get funding in? Well, we're pretty lucky we've got uh, a couple of uh, fairly uh, um, helpful local sponsors, about uh, four, which uh, all pull together. Um, grant funding's a big one, but it's become a lot harder in the last couple of uh, years, grant funding. Uh, there's so many, not just sporting bodies out there, but uh, just community groups all needing uh, needing help and support. And um, the grant funding, it, it's sort of a, a shrinking pot, if you like, because uh, obviously the grant funding all comes from gambling. So it's sort of, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's correct in this time, in these ages to say it, but, you know, it's a bit like how smoking used to sponsor quite a lot of sporting events and obviously, you know, uh, and alcohol to a lesser extent now. Um, same with grant funding from gambling. So it's sort of uh, uh, almost uh, a, uh, a revenue stream that's uh, got a finite future. So, so how, in terms of in terms of your, you've mentioned that you've, you're lucky because you've got sort of four good sponsors uh, there yeah. that um, working with the club. How does that how does that relationship between the sponsors and the club work? Is it is it primarily a one way street, or are you trying to give back to the sponsors as well? And and if you do, how do you do that? Well, yeah, I, I suppose you know um, I wouldn't call it a one way street. The plus is what a sponsor gets out of uh, sponsorship is other than. Um, advertising and, and uh, self-promotion of their company is, is uh, uh, a belonging in the community, uh, an identity in the community, seeming to give back to the community that supports their business. So we acknowledge the sponsor and encourage our members and people who visit the club and the club website, etc., to support these um, businesses. Uh, if they've got a, a, a choice in their um, spending, um, go with the ones that are helping out your local community uh, group. So uh, that, that's probably the main part of the two-way street, if you like. And um, in one case, there, you know, it, it, it's like many things. It, it, it's, it's a case of if there's a family involvement in the, in the sport, so there's a personal interest towards uh, the, uh, the club, then normally that sponsorship, you know, it, it's supporting something that they're passionate about as well. And in one case, we're lucky with that uh, that particular sponsor. But, you know, we acknowledge them through Facebook shout-outs, which, you know, social media, you can't under underestimate the uh, the impact and the uh, effectiveness of um, that that support that uh, um, the business has given once it's, it's sort of given a, a, a thumbs up, a like, if you like, on social media. So that's Taren, probably, did you have um, – yep, sorry. Taryn, did you have something there? 
Yeah. Okay. I was gonna ask. I was basically gonna ask, like, what really, like, do I mean? Yes, they get a bit of mileage out of us, Steve, but um, are they just doing it because they want to support the community? Like the crux of it is it because they just want to see their community do well and hope, like look after the, the kids and the community Give members. Back. Really uh, uh, I think it's not a – it's very dependent on the individual um, with sponsorship, I feel. Um, in our case, I think we're lucky. Our club has a fantastic story. Um it's uh, it's it's not a established club, even though it's been around for seventy five years. It's not an established club in the landscape of Auckland uh, cricket. Anyway, the the upper echelons of Auckland cricket, we're very much uh, um, a phoenix, if you like, rising from the ashes. The club uh, has just achieved after twenty years principal club status. Is before my last technical difficulty, um, I was uh, talking about. So, um, you know, that's something, if you're a sponsor, would be quite neat. I'm hoping in the future that our club's going to have quite a, quite a, quite a, a, a cool story uh, evolving as we sort of venture into premier grade cricket properly. And, um, and the area continues to grow. And it's sort of like and where we are in QMU, that area is growing with the, uh, the uh, special housing um, zone. And uh, with that, we're seeing new membership come and our community's growing and our club's growing. So like I said, it, it, it's a story that can be told and, you know, it, business is business. And if you've got a good story to tell, it's good for your business. And if you're associated with that good news story, it reflects good on your business. So that's another plus uh, for the, uh, the sponsors. What are some of the challenges you, the, for both of you actually, and maybe you start with Aaron. Uh, as chairman of an amateur cricket club in New Zealand, where obviously we probably behind, well, you wouldn't say rugby, but definitely behind um, football in numbers and probably behind rugby in finances. So what, what are some of the challenges you face? Uh, you know, I obviously, you know, as I say, I haven't been involved for a while, but, you know, the major challenges, you know, as always with any sort of sporting club or uh, in any sport is, is um, money and funding. That's, that's your biggest issue. Um, you know, you just like Stephen said, you know, obviously, and I said before, a large amount of funding was, you know, through trust, through gambling and that. Um, I know, like, Paul's posed a question about the dilemma between gambling and sports. Um, kids sports and that but at the end of the day you know you can't sort of look you can't be looking into those things and making moral judgments you just got to go where the money is so that you can keep your club going and you know um, put it to use uh, um, put it to good use um, with those um, kids and growing numbers in the sport um, you know and as I as I said the, the major issue i I think um, is that the you don't get that amount of um, funding coming from your head office or you know um, whether it's New Zealand cricket or Auckland cricket, no matter what they say, the the money is not that that comes 
two to three to clubs is is a pitiful amount compared to what you're asked to do and um, <laughs> with that money to try and maintain the sports numbers for them so they can you know put it into their elite sports people. Do you want me to answer that one, Tara? Yeah, go on. Um, yeah, it's funnily enough, I was having a conversation about this with uh, somebody today, and I don't feel that clubs in Auckland should be in danger, unlike, say, in the press lately, the rugby club, club rugby in Auckland, North Harbour regions come under the spotlight and struggling for numbers. Yeah. On average, we get, it's pretty static, the numbers, about 10,000 players playing club cricket in Auckland every year. And that really hasn't changed dramatically for the last decade. There's only 16 clubs in Auckland, realistically. Uh, there's a couple of other smaller clubs, but in, in big sense numbers, there's only 16 clubs. And that's in the whole geographical area of what you'd call North Harbour, and Auckland Club Rugby, uh, Northern Football and Auckland Football. Um, yeah. Both those two major winter codes, um, they have in excess to combine 30 plus clubs in uh, in both of them respectively, which when that's the case, you're, uh, you're always going to struggle with numbers because there's so many uh, um, different. I think the challenge for clubs, just to shorten the answer up, is how they're being run and if they're being run properly. Um, sustainably and that's looking after your player base, your juniors that are coming through and looking after your members as well that are playing senior cricket and not just being focused on your top side which is your showpiece but everybody who's playing for your club, who's paying subs and who are part of your club because that's your club isn't it, your members and I think sometimes the clubs that may find themselves in trouble are the clubs that aren't focusing on all their members, but are just focusing on parts of their club. Maybe more the the, the shinier parts of the club, let's say, to, um, without pointing fingers into too many corners. But yeah, um, 16 clubs in Auckland cricket, I think that's a very viable number. Um, it just comes down to how those clubs are run. And that's the only struggle or issue I think a club in Auckland cricket at the moment will have, other than um, something like a pandemic or anything else crazy like that that may happen. <laughs> so you, so you've... Sorry, 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 Ashwin. Um, you know how, Steve, like, if you're... Obviously, if you're reading any form of media and we've all heard and read about the struggles of rugby and the dying numbers, especially in and yep. around Auckland and all that carry on, I've got my views on it. I think, um, yeah, I mean, that's separate. But... um. They, they um, changing, which they point quite heavily towards changing demographics of Auckland, mm. right? Um, and yes. and the growth and popularity of a very good winter secondary option in football has meant many families have turned towards football, especially with the concussion and the health issues that have come to light over the years. So. What do you see any of that potentially happening with cricket, considering the changing demographic? Mm, not really. No, I, I don't see that happening. I only see that happening if um, this is the beauty of cricket, like soccer over rugby. Um, uh, and saying that, you know, I'll, I'll 
to clear my hand now that I, you know I played rugby and I'm very passionate about my rugby. I love my rugby, but um, soccer, football appeals to a wider, more diverse, and probably reflects the the changing dynamics of our city um, more so than rugby in terms of all inclusive. Um, certain parts of our population probably because. Oh, for a myriad of reasons, to be quite honest, uh, probably wouldn't would wouldn't consider playing rugby, but would consider maybe watching it. Uh, whereas cricket, um, yeah, I can't see it. The only way it's going to happen is if it's um, manipulated in a way that it becomes unpopular. Um, there's plenty of kids of all 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 all, all rainbow colours. If we're going down that track. Um, who want to who want to play cricket and love cricket, not just because um, they happen to come from uh, the subcontinent and and that's sort of what their dad played and they feel obligated to it, or not mm. because um, you know they 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 come from a certain part of Auckland where uh, in the summer you either play tennis or cricket. Um, it's it, it, if and that's where the responsibility comes to the clubs and the people running the clubs to install that. Uh, that enjoyment of cricket to the to the kids coming through and teach them that uh, you know cricket's for everyone. That's the fantastic thing about cricket. They used to say that about rugby, but rugby's changed. You, now you have to be six foot six and uh, hundred and ten kgs of pure muscle and be able to run a hundred meters like Usain Bolt and all the rest of it to play rugby. No matter if you're a winger or a forward. Whereas cricket, it still doesn't matter if you're four foot five or whether you're six foot seven. Um, or whether you're incredibly overweight like um, some of the international cricketers of, uh, from the lesser countries or whether you're uh, an athlete. I thought you were just referring to our club. I thought you were just referring <laughs> to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you had a couple of people in the spectrum, um, height-wise and weight-wise, so I was like, oh, you're just covering yeah, yeah, up. But, but, yeah, it was probably subconsciously in my mind. But what I mean is they can all play cricket and enjoy so That is the beauty of cricket. You don't That's have to the be an athlete. Game. You don't yeah. have to be an um, athlete to beat an athlete in cricket. Yeah. Um, and the main thing is, you just have to love the game. End of story. Who's, um, um, have you guys got? Have you guys received historically, or do you tend to receive any um, demographical numbers or data around what um, ethnic backgrounds play or play the game or? Dominate the game in Auckland. Do you guys have any statistics along those lines? Yeah, there Auckland was a survey done a few years ago. Years back, didn't they? So what was that? Sorry, yeah. what was that? Auckland so, so a survey a few years back, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, there was a survey done a few years uh, back by Auckland Cricket on the different um, ethnicities playing cricket, and I think Sorry, I'm going to have to jump in here. I have to jump in here. This is this is this sounds like um sort of like a uh, quarantine types in that situation where they're running off. How can Auckland cricket not know the ethnicities of all the registered players? It's it's you do that when you register a player. You put in there what they uh, you don't have to uh, run a separate uh, survey. Uh, it's optional. It's, op it's yeah, optional. Yeah, sure, sure, it's optional. But generally speaking, most people fill it in. No, yeah, most people do, but there is a percentage that don't. Yeah, yeah, but, but I mean, it's going to give you a good indication yeah, of where um, your numbers are. Yeah, you can on going through the registration on Crick HQ. Yeah, there is a, a thing that identifies it, and there's a 
Yeah, there's a fairly accurate picture out there. Um, obviously, if you did a proper survey, um, but I think the main reason is it's not a focus for Auckland cricket. Um, it's something that's being supported in terms of uh, uh, helping out uh, ethnic minorities within Auckland and supporting them with their cricket. And we've got an incredibly diverse uh, um, uh, ethnic population playing cricket in, in Auckland, not just your obvious uh, um, individuals, but um, right through to uh, Nepalese uh, who have their own um, team. Um, so 25 years so, ago, you could almost picture rugby sitting there going, ah, nah, these guys aren't really a focus for us, maybe in the mid-90s. And look where they are now, absolutely scrounging for numbers because they didn't really care that they were strong, they were doing well, and they were fine, right? Mm. Um, if, if that focus doesn't shift into tapping the current um, you know, bubble for cricketing numbers or the con continuity of it, do you not think it will get challenged? Possibly. Only if it, once again, I go down the path. I use our club as an example, Taryn, where we're not specifically on purpose targeting any group that may bolster our numbers one way or the other. What we're doing is facilitating cricket that is appealing to the whole community. And if you, if you give a product, if you put a product out there that people want to play, and it doesn't matter whether they're South African expats on the shore or whether they're um, Fijian um, uh, uh, rugby players who want to have a game of um, T20 on a Sunday, um, you provide it and, you know, you'll be looked after. But I think it, you're going to run down, run down a, hole, a hole too far if you just focus on one aspect of it and go, you know, this is where we're going to throw all our eggs in one basket. And then you're going to neglect the whole population. And that's the thing about it, you know, speaking about what it's like to be a chair of a club, you're always having to consider the whole picture. So it's not just your new members and your potential members, it's your existing membership. And you've got to look after that whole cricketing community. And I think that's the focus you have to have. Um, it's saying that I'm just going to say this is like you mentioned about the um so like was that a Fijian league on a Sunday was it Steve um but I mean like um, no I was, saying, I was using it as an example yeah but, 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 but no no, no we don't want to stereotype but what I was going to what I was going to yep what I was going to say is that like there's so many leagues that are actually starting up isn't there and Aaron you can probably talk to the uh, Indo Kiwi how people are getting together and starting up their own competitions and these are three or four teams. These are 10, 15, 20 teams. Yep. Oh, yeah, look, yeah, I mean, the, that tournament that you specifically mentioned there, Indo-Kiwi cricket, you know, that I've um, been fortunate to be part of for the last uh, five, six seasons. They've, they've actually been running for about um, 11 years now, just, you know, the season gone. Um, basically started off with a, um, you know, I guess uh, I'm trying to put this nicely, but <laughs> um, a bunch of Indian guys, you know, who happened to marry up with um, Kiwi Indian girls. So they've migrated out here as, you know, son-in-laws and et cetera, and they're passionate about cricket. And, you know, um, they just started um, these cricket teams. Now, you know, I mean, um, 
I'm not sure if I should mention names, but Aaron, who's basically, you know, the guy who started this off, um, he runs 11 one-day teams on a Saturday, um, you know, through Grafton Cricket Club, um, has been for many years. But then they've also put together this T20 competition that's, as I said, been running over the last 11 years. Now, um, you get about from there, you know, in that competition, which is run on Sundays over about five, five, five or six weeks, you know, you have 16 teams, so you have group stages through to semi-finals, finals, um, with winners taking away prize money in that. Now, that's just, as, as you um, alluded to earlier, there's just one competition. Obviously, Taryn, we know now there's maybe two or three other such competitions run by, and, you know, it, it is mainly the ethnic minorities that have put these comps together. And so basically, it's nothing, it's there's no initiatives of yep. to, to, to come and set these up and run these. You know, they, when they were actually surprised to find out these tournaments are running in some cases. But you know, <laughs> one of these tournaments is run in the format of um, like the IPL in India. Players are auctioned off. You know, teams teams buy players on an auction night, and you know, it, it's so. Yeah, so, it, so basically, it's, it's, it's a, to use the two words that Paul's actually used. Up, um, it's a, you've got a lot of unsanctioned tournaments that are being held outside of the umbrella of Auckland cricket or Auckland Association cricket. Is Auckland cricket doing anything to actually pull them in and yes. to sort of leverage it? What are, what are they doing? Yeah. About it? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't call it unsanctioned. They're just, um, they fall outside of, outside the scope or outside the umbrella of organized cricket. It is still organized cricket, but it doesn't fall under the ACA banner. Yeah, that's what I mean. Sorry, yeah. Which, to their credit, have actually sought funding through Active, um, which is a governing body at Sport Auckland and New Zealand Cricket, and actually invested in certain clubs initially where they saw um, quite a strong um, hotbed for this kind of activity, invested in them to try and engage with them and try and not necessarily bring them into the system, but to offer them more resource to better their um, cricketing experience. And I a lot mean, of that, these... the objective, isn't it, of Auckland cricket is to try and, I mean, obviously, Auckland cricket wants to bring them under their umbrella yeah. to add numbers. To their or you know playing numbers under their banner, so that again it's it's a matter of funding. It's you know when you go to um, yeah. what's it um, what do we call it Sport New Zealand or who you know the sport, government that admins, administers the funding payouts, they look at your num playing numbers or participation numbers. So and, there's another element to the way, and Steve would know about this from a grounds angle, is the more cricketers that you can show playing cricket or the need for um, playing what well, playing cricket, then Auckland cricket actually has more leverage to go to the council and say we need more cricket pitches, which can then be used for organised cricket. 
Right. So all, is that right, Sue? Is that how it works? Yeah, no, yeah, 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 100% right, Taryn. And that's the that's the other uh, issue you have with, uh, and we're lucky up here in Auckland um, where the council does um, pay for, you know, nearly 100% of them running and looking after the grounds, whereas uh, in Wellington, uh, the Wellington Association has to contribute to the upkeep of the wickets. So we're pretty lucky here in Auckland that we do get that. But to continue to get that support, yeah, we need to maximise the utilisation of the, the wickets and the, and the fields. So by sort of getting all these various leagues and games under one sort of, well, not on one umbrella, but one focal point, you've got a lot more power when you discuss with the council. Mm. Well, you know, these rather than just Saturdays and the odd Friday grounds being used, they're being used Saturday, Sunday, and then a couple of times during the week. And all of a sudden, you've got more more lobby power. So yeah, I mean, and, see, I mean, see, I hope, hope Steve doesn't mind me saying this, but that's where Steve and Jimmy Cricket have almost been quite progressive. They, I, they understand the need to do this. They work closely with the football club up at Hopi Domain. And through the winter... And through the summer, we make our cricket pitches, the artificial pitches, available to the community as much as possible because it's important that uh, the visibility of cricket is out on those fields. So when community members, council members are driving past or walking through, see this place is actually being utilised. And if it doesn't happen, you know there's other clubs out there wanting space and looking for green acres, and they'll readily come in and say, well, there's nobody using it. We need it. We want to form a club there. So there's a lot more there, and Steve's done a great job. So, so in terms of, like, just, I'm going to take Simon's question or comment there and turn it a little bit and sort of things so, like, obviously we've seen good success with some of these ethnic groups setting up their own leagues and like. What, what needs to happen in terms of the European community to sort of like get them together to start organising some leagues or possibly expanding these um, subcontinent leagues for want of a term and becoming more uh, inclusive for more okay. can, sort of that thing? Can I turn that around ever so slightly yep. and then I'll let Stephen um, um, Aaron talk about it. Here we go. Yep. Why? I'm questioning. Okay, so the European um, community, should I say, um, probably don't feel the need to have leagues. Is that because these immigrant um, members, community members, see, are they feeling that they don't belong or aren't welcome in that league, which is why they go off and start their own leagues? They're a lot more comfortable because we all know, especially um, Steve and Aaron, you know about the trials and tribulations of one-day cricket and the, the angst that goes around with umpiring and cheating and God knows what. What are you talking about, Karen? <laughs> Is there an element of that that they don't feel welcome? Because, Steve, oh. you might also know that a lot of clubs yeah. feel the one-day grades don't offer much to cricket clubs other than numbers. Yeah, the, precisely. And, and also taking it, you know, um, in a slightly different um, direction as well as we had a team of, um, I'd call them social, casual cricketers that played arranged matches against other teams like themselves 
uh, mainly made up of um, guys who've come over here from India just to do work and send money home, etc. Um, and their perception of playing club cricket was you had to be almost what we deemed to be a first-class player. And when when I when that when I was talk, talking to them one day at the domain, they 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 would just once the proper Saturday cricket was out of the way, they'd just be jump on a, a, a spare pitch and and have a game of cricket. And, and so you know, being a being a sort of a, a welcoming club, we just sort of had a chat to them, and and they wanted to use the grounds to have a game on a Sunday at the at the. Uh, at the club and we said yeah that's fine and if you want to use upstairs you can we're happy you know so just put out the welcome mat and then they sort of said would we be able to play uh, do you have a t20 competition we can play and i said well what what did you guys want to play and that's how the conversation evolved and and it eventually came out that they'd really like to play one day cricket on a saturday but felt that you know they had to be like like i said sort of almost first class cricketers to play it so there is that um, Lack of knowledge, cultural um, awareness. awareness of, yeah. how, how accessible club cricket is. So rather than mm. go down that, you know, it was just through good luck and, uh, and and a bit of communication that the whole thing evolved. And I think that's what our club's been quite proactive, particularly with you you at point there, Taryn, um, which is how you initially began your involvement with the club. Was we realised. Um, we needed somebody to be a first point of contact and to actively um, see what's out there and uh, make contact with uh, organisations and just see what support they needed. You know, I felt we oh, the translator. And sort of go, um, hey, we just want <laughs> as many members as we can so our numbers look great. It was a case of, um, you know, how can we help you guys? Because at the end of the day, you've got to keep it fairly simple, which is, keep people playing cricket and enjoying cricket. That's what, you know, the core function of the club is. Like, I mean, I don't want to keep pumping um, Pumius tyres here, but to answer Simon's question, the European New Zealand is Simon put it, not me. There is a competition for, that is played by the European New Zealand. Um, at Cumu, it's called Twilight Cricket. And Steve can elaborate on that. There's 16 teams, I believe, Predominantly New Zealand, European, or New Zealand Pakeha, um, yep. social cricketers that barely participate in any Saturday cricket, um, put teams out, turn up on a Tuesday night, and drink the bar dry. Steve, or yours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that. <laughs> good for the club. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's pretty much it. I hope none of them are watching now because it, it makes them sound like. Very stereotypical New Zealander male back in the uh, nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, the, the positive is that we actually do have a team, the old uh, the Desi Warriors, they play in it, um, who are a, a, a team that sort of uh, play quite a lot of social cricket. There's a I don't know if they even play club cricket for anyone, but they they enter in quite a few uh, T20 tape ball T10 tournaments. So, um, yeah, that that competition's oversubscribed. Um, Last Man Stands is another uh, competition that would probably challenge the uh, the question. But yeah, I think you you answered the question fairly well at the beginning, Taryn. It's a case of um, there's no real need. I think there's the the comfortableness of 
the established competition because it's very sort of, uh, well, you know, that that's where its roots were in New Zealand originally when it was very much the domain of the white New Zealand farmer. Um, for want of a better word, that's how cricket started in New Zealand. You know, small country towns playing arranged... Uh, um, and there wasn't a lot of ethnic diversity in New Zealand back then, um, really playing cricket. Um, you know, uh, you either played rugby or uh, you played in the summer, you played cricket or you went to the beach and went for a swim. And then as the country's become more diverse, obviously the game has. Steve, Steve um, can I put it back to you this way about the organisation? When yep. you've got a group of people who are running the sport, and the guys of, say, Auckland cricket or New Zealand cricket, and, you know, I'll come out and put it this way, mainly made up of middle-aged white men, then they do not have the knowledge of how to interact or, you know, get these, the, the new, the, the new, um, the new, arrivals into New Zealand that have come in from yep. Southeast Asia um, to get the message out to them that how cricket is run in New Zealand and to, so that they these people would get, you know, can participate and become active members of clubs and come and play cricket. You know, like you, you know, Taryn and um, Ashwin, even right myself, in the area around totally. here in Auckland where we live, if you go past the, the local cricket club here in the in the park, you know, um, Keith A Park, you've got eight pitches now. Just a few weeks, you know, uh, go while we were in lockdown. Ashwin was down there with his son and the next playing, and I went down, you know, as well. Um, before I joined up, I went for a walk around the park. Now this is basically what we were in May, I think. Yep. You. The ground was actually well, the pitches were being utilized, fully utilized. There were games going on virtually in, in the middle of May. Middle of winter. Cricket, middle of winter playing cricket, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with anything you said there. Um hundred percent. And you know, oh, to to Auckland's cricket's credit, um there is a realization of this has been lacking, and um, you know, it there is an, an awakening, if you like, or an awareness. I don't know how quickly that's happening. I think uh, complacency of numbers may uh, make some clubs a little less progressive than others. I can actually sit here and feel quite proud of our club and the fact that we are we are probably one of the more progressive clubs in Auckland, I dare say, and that reflects in how people have gravitated to join our club. Um, and, and, you know, um, one would hope that going forward, this is the beauty of cricket, etc. cetera, is um, it's a sport that'll bring people from all walks of life together that normally wouldn't socialize for whatever reason um, yeah. with a common, with a common uh, interest in cricket and whether that's professionals, you know, uh, business executives and blue collar workers or a myriad of different ethnicities. And then the beauty there is the, the learning potential of different cultures that you, and experiences that you'll get on your own back doorstep. Uh, so I'm just going to jump in there. Dovetails back to what 
being a part of a club is when you but, when you move so into gonna, a new area. Sorry. Yep. So I'm going to jump in there, and this is like so we're talking about diversity, and yep. is it is it? I mean, like, can you get to a club and basically the club that has no diversity, and how detrimental is that? I mean, like, we're not talking about we're talking about immigrants that are basically now taking a club over effectively, and and is it detrimental to a club to do that? Well, only from the point of view of if that club had no other, you know, what's happened to all the members that were there uh, at the beginning? Has that club been in recess? And that's where I go back to the very first running of the club. Is the only thing, the only it's thing that's happened club cricket go south yeah. is the way it's, it's been run. And, and, and the chairman of the club, how he runs his ship, you know, um, if, if, if a club is, you know, the more members, and it doesn't matter where they come from, join the club, yeah. the better it is for the club, in my opinion. Um, now, in that regards, you know, to answer your question, if your club is overrun with a, um, new members and the only way you're going to have problems is if all of a sudden the whole focus is on the new membership and the old membership is uh, neglected or taken for granted, um, then you're going to have issues. But if it's you, you know, what you're trying to create is a is a is a happy happy uh, United Nations environment, for want of a better word, and um, you know that's one of your roles as a chairman to ensure that happens by you know the way you've set your club up. No, it's it's very much so like the uh, a commercial environment, isn't it? When you, you let's say you're with your electricity company and they offer new yep. members, new new customers, a special deal, and it's like, hey, what about me? I've been a loyal customer, and you've neglect yeah, you you're neglecting me. You, you can't do it. You, you yeah, can't, you can't do that. It's a bit, you know, say say um for instance, uh, you had a team approach you from another club, and they said, you know, we'll bring our all our players with us. We've got a couple of former first-class players playing in our team, and if you get us in your club there and you give us our, your second team spot, um, you know we'll bolster it, and our better players, our former first-class players, can play for your first team. And then all your existing players, you go right, yo boys, you're playing in the thirds now because this new team's going to fill that that spot. Um, you're really not, you're doing a disservice to these guys who've been with your club forever. In the same regards. You're not going to tell these guys, hey, nah, go away. You're going to say to them, nah, look, we've got a space for you guys in the club. Join our club. But you're going to have Work to be up. inclusive and part of the club. And there's opportunities within our club for your players, if they wish to, to play at a higher level. And that's how you've got to approach it. So, you you know, like I said, there's, it comes down to the way it's being managed as, yeah. I suppose, as we always do every week, we've gone a bit over time, so uh, we better wrap it up. Um, any final words you'd like to say uh, in terms of your roles there, past and present? No. Yeah. <laughs> and Steve? <laughs> um, yeah, I'd just say it, 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 it's, it's a job you do because you're passionate about the sport and you want to see the sport thrive. Um, that's the only reason you do, do the job, and that's why you end up doing it for life, I suppose. It's a, right. it's a thankless task. You do really, you need doing yep, a really great absolutely. job, Steve. Yep. It, it, Karen? Yeah, just a person. Karen Rohit, any final comments? No, no, I think if anything, I think, um, no. you know, I, I was part of a health and safety course today, 
And uh, yeah, 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 it was a, a wonderful day. <laughs> <laughs> and they talk about the hours that the board members or volunteers put in. Yep. And to the point that they, I don't know, many people don't know this, but they re it's recognized so highly that volunteers, especially the board of trustees, they're not actually liable for any accidents or any issues that happen because they they the time commitment that they put in is so valuable that they're giving it up. It's a volunteer hours, right? Yep. And the reason I bring that up is I think not many people think um, club chairs and other board member, um, club committee members, they get nothing in return. Yes, you start off because your son's playing there, but in both these gentlemen's cases, their sons no longer play there, but both of them are still affiliated to the club. So I think, yeah, yeah, it's just a wonderful <laughs> thing that they, that they do, have done, do, and continue to do. So yeah, we probably, they probably should get recognised for their time. Now, well, I, look, as I say, we better wrap it up this. I'd like to thank um, Aaron and Stephen for joining us on the show tonight to give their insights into what a club manager's, or sorry, a club chair, club chairman's role is or, or what a club actually does in general. So um, that, that, and again, to everybody out there, thank you for um, joining us again on Swinging from the Hip, your cricketing fix for the week. And we look forward to seeing you here on New Zealand Sport Radio every Thursday at 8pm. Remember, we've got our other shows on. On a Monday night, we've got our Super Rugby reviews. Tuesday nights, if we get some contestants on, so put your hand up for Do You Know Your Sport? Wednesday nights, we've got our league show. And Thursday nights, of course, you've got Swinging from, your, swinging from the Hip right here, 8pm on New Zealand Sport Radio. Thank you for watching. 